0: And uh, you probably know by now that what spurned this uh, series uh, was the fact that my wife is on a two week trip to Israel and uh, I'm home alone with the kids, so (laughs) we're getting through it. (laughs) She got a a free trip with Christians United for Israel. And uh, I want to give just a shout out to my amazing wife. I remember one lady came to church and she said, I I want you to, she invited a friend. She said, Come to my church. She said, You'll like Pastor Jordan, but you'll love Elizabeth. And she just does a great job, like, you know, as a pastor's wife, it's not easy, and she just fits the mold so incredibly well, and so I think, you know, uh, it's wonderful she has that opportunity to travel, and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. And uh, I don't want to upstage her, but uh, I did want to also announce that on the 5th of uh, May, we're going to have an interest meeting for an opportunity to tour Israel, and I've been there a couple times. Uh, it'll be 2025 is what we're planning on, so I, I'm going to, May 7th. Yes, I'm going to announce all that in the meeting, so uh, <laughs> it, it, we, it the world's a hot mess, and if you get a chance to go, you should take it while you can. I never thought I'd get the chance to go back, so I've been there twice, 2017, 2013. Elizabeth was there 10 years ago, so it, it, it's a blessing. Now, um, I think that the Western church, it, it, especially like charismatics, uh, lack a theology about suffering, and... I had a great time last week. I had so many comments from people, it really surprised me. And a lot of people who maybe, you know, from a denominational background growing up, Catholics, Episcopalians, you know, they're more familiar with the topic. So we're just spending the next couple of weeks just highlighting what it means. And Peter is probably the greatest source of this in the Scriptures. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. I want to read the verses to you and pray. He said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while if need be he said you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes it's tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of jesus christ let's pray all right father this morning we just thank you for the scriptures i pray lord it would take root in our heart and i pray you give us an elevated perspective of who you are and how you deal with us, and I thank you for the for good, great grace in our hearts and minds today as we receive the word of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, Amen and Amen. Now, uh, this is not the first time that my sweet wife has left me uh, home with the kids. Uh, Twenty nineteen, she went to Nova Scotia. She was visiting her mom or her father out there, and um, I had all three kids. Abigail was a baby, and I think that was probably uh, even more challenging. I survived. And um, you know, I did pretty good. But on the last day, I felt like I lost all ambition to clean the house. It was like all that, you know, desire to keep the place clean. it just went out the window, and I mean, uh, the lesson I learned is that she should not leave me like that again. Um, it made me a better father, I guess. <laughs> now, I'm in First Peter again. And um, Peter probably wrote the book in Rome when he was in Rome. That's what scholars believe. He wrote it when he was uh, in, in that city. And, and um, you know, it, the reason we think that is because there was some um, cryptic references made. Chapter 5, for instance, he, he refers to Babylon. It's almost like what he's saying is that, uh, you know, Babylon that, that took Jerusalem captive in 500 years, 586 AD, it's like the Romans did the same thing. And so he, he had this cryptic way of talking about Rome. You know, Israel is such an interesting place. It's amazing. You could see the Holy Land, the place where Jesus walked. It's spiritually edifying, it's incredible. Rome, where I recently was, is more of a study on suffering. And we talked about last week some of the uh, the blood that was shed by the martyrs of the early church, and it was pretty incredible to see some of the places that they died and, and I wanted the things that they went through and so you know, Peter is this great place to study suffering. What I want to just teach you this morning that is, is how to make sense of suffering. Because, man, people ask this all the time. Sometimes they wonder, why am I going through a hardship? Why am I in the middle of something that's difficult like this? And it's a great place for us to, to learn and, and grow. And in Peter's life in particular, he highlights some of these things. So I want to just kind of walk through the verses. And the first thing I would highlight is in these sixth and seventh verses where he said, you've been grieved. In other words, you've been through some suffering. So that the genuineness of your faith... That word genuineness. Genuineness of your faith, which you said will be tested by fire, will be bound to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. Here's the first thing I'd tell you about suffering. Suffering, according to this verse, is something that deepens your faith. We'd say it purifies it, makes it genuine. It adds a depth and a dimension to your faith. It's like when you've been through something difficult with God, you go from understanding Him on a two-dimensional level to a three-dimensional level. Suddenly things just become a little more alive. And an interesting Greek word here, the word genuineness, which is the same word that James wrote about in James chapter 1 and verse 3. He called it the testing of your faith. You know, the thing about a a test is that it will prove your faith genuine. It'll you'll weigh it out. Now, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So I like to hear scriptures because they build my faith. And I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans 15 when he said that the things that were written beforehand were written for our admonition, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, might have hope. When you read about people in the Bible, Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace before the wicked king of Babel. When you think about, you know, Peter, who was crucified upside down, and Jesus even told him that he would be sifted as wheat, and you think about Paul being stoned, I mean, you can read about those examples, and it will give you encouragement in difficult places. See, the reason why it proves your faith genuine is because a test is where you can apply the faith that's in your heart. You, you can make it work out. It, you discover if it's real, if it's proven, if it's something that is alive in your heart. Now, I was thinking about the trials I've been through in life. I have been through some trials. I was thinking about when I rededicated my life when I was in high school. And the most difficult thing in that hour was that I lost all of my friends. It was like people didn't want nothing to do with me. Everyone disappeared. I mean, it just, it just what happened. And I felt all alone. I was thinking about when my father died, you know, shortly after that. And I remember the feeling of being afraid. I didn't know what to do. When you have a father figure, there's a comforting, you know, presence that's with you. And so when he passed away, Titus was in the need to do with myself. Or, you know, I I think about the time when my son Titus was in the neonatal intensive care unit 40 days. And I remember mowing my yard, thinking, "How am I going to pay for these bills?" I remember seeing some of the suffering and problems he had, and my heart was filled with agony. But the Lord brought me through it. Amen. And I, I was thinking, you know, then about starting a church, and uh, that has more to do with aggravation and annoyance. <laughs> but there is certainly a measure of suffering that gets involved whenever you deal with people. Don't don't shout me down while I'm preaching. All right? I'm <laughs> I, I've had the opportunity to walk through trials with the Lord, and, and I found them to be a blessing in some cases. See, a trial will deepen your relationships. It'll deepen your relationship with God. Man, when you've been through some difficult things with the Lord right there, and you know that He will bring you through it, it's like you lose your sense of fear about it. You kind of get like, you know, I know God did it before. I know He'll do it again. It's that same thing with people. When you've had maybe difficult encounters with people and you've worked through it and grown with it, there's trust that's developed. There's a bond that's connected. Man, Elizabeth and I, it's like I I fully trust her. We have been through so many things now where I know how she'll react. I know what she'll do in a situation. I'm so grateful for that. I have friends like that. I've got a staff like that. I know how they'll react in moments because I've walked through some trials with them. I like how the verse talks about the genuineness of your faith Being tested, and he said it's going to be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. That's really an incredible thought when he said that because what it tells me is that there's an eternal reward to some of the difficult things you go through. The things that you experience in this life, in the here and now, are going to pay eternal dividends in the life to come. Robes of righteousness, uh, crowns that are placed upon your head, the victor's crown. I mean, that's an incredible thing. All that I know is that sometimes I go through things that I don't understand. But there's something in the process that is working something in my heart that allows me to know God in a greater way. It's like I get to know Him in places of pain and difficulty that I would never have experienced otherwise. The genuineness of your faith will be tested and be proven. It deepens my walk with God. Now, let me give you a second thought here. And that's down in the end of the chapter, 1 Peter 1, 22. Uh, here's a second way that you can sense suffering. Uh, verse 22, he said, since you have purified your soul, and we talked about it being tested, we talked about that fiery trial, and the genuineness of your faith, now it says it's purified in obeying the truth through the, sincere, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Right, let's talk about what suffering does. You want know what suffering does in your life? Suffering is what allows us to demonstrate our love one to another. It's, like it's there for everyone to see on display for all. And a great example of this is Jesus, John chapter 13, and he's washing the feet of stinky fishermen when he was about to be betrayed. And you'd think he'd be stressed out, but he was calm cool, and collected, loving on them, ministering to them in the most stressful time, the most stressful night of his life. The the verse tells us here uh, to love one another fervently. And so that that word fervently is the Greek word, it means intensity, and it has to do with the stretching of your faith. You know, think about loving people, it'll test your limits, man. It will stretch you like nothing else will do. It gives us this opportunity to to, to love people when it's difficult and not easy. And Jesus, who is our example, I mean, I think about what he did right there. I mean, he loved perfectly. It says he loved his disciples all the way firm to the end. He demonstrated his love in that moment. When I think about love, I mean, I, I really appreciate the topic of love. But if you're honest with yourself when it comes to loving people, there is a measure of suffering that is involved in that situation, man. I, I think about what love will do in your life when it's when it's working. The thing about loving people is it gives you a perspective. This is what a trial will do when you're walking in love. It gives you a pers- different perspective, a higher perspective, a, a greater perspective, uh, a different vantage point that you might see when I've been through some trials, and, and then I have some answers for people because I, I, I know how to do certain things or I figured out what to do. I mean, man, that, that is a blessing. When, when I think about trials, it, 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 they help work compassion and mercy in my life. I started having new compassion for people because there's some things that I've been through. You know, I was a rebellious teenager. And so I get around rebellious, obnoxious teenagers who make funny noises and smell bad. Where's my youth group at back there? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can relate, man. I was there. I was that rebellious kid. I'm not threatened by it. I'm not intimidated by it. When I get around people who uh, you know, maybe had a difficult past or background, I like to think I can hug on them and love on them and know how to connect with them. I have a soft spot in my heart for people who've overcome certain addiction things because I had to go through that myself. And compassion and mercy has been worked out in my life. I'm grateful for that. That's what a trial did. A a trial is really what gives you the opportunity to love people. Man, that, that... gets to work out in your life, it means that I can be useful in a time of need. I, I know how to help people in moments. And when that fiery trial is taking place, something is working in your heart. The, the, the heat of a fire, you know what it works out, is the impurities of your life. It works out selfishness. It works out your sense of you know, preservation. And so you can be useful. You can be a blessing. There's always an opportunity for you to bless someone in a moment. And It's called a perfect work in the Bible. And when things get hard, it's like that's when the opportunity shows up. And you really find out what is in your heart. Are you a person where where the love of God is working in your heart when you're in a difficult moment or do you turn away and not help? And that's what love will do. That's what a trial will do. It'll help you love people in a greater way. I know because I have children and I have to work with them on difficult things now. And yet love is working in my heart all the time. So a trial really helps us uh, to, to demonstrate our love one for another. Now, I want to highlight a third one here. First Peter chapter 2. So flip over a page there in your Bibles. So the second chapter. He, he said, this is commendable. Someone say commendable. commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But he said when you do good and suffer if you take it patiently it is commendable before God. Now he, here's really something that suffering works in your heart. Suffering is what disciplines us. And the context and context is key. Context is crucial. The context has to do with suffering unjustly. It's interesting that verse 18 started out with servants uh, be submissive to your masters. And Having been to Rome, where Peter wrote this, I have a greater understanding of that verse. Because, you know, we were at the Colosseum, and that is a massive structure. I mean, it's like a present-day regular NFL stadium. I've been to them, it 65,000 people. They built it, I think it was, in six or seven years. I mean, just fairly quickly. And I remember one of the guys asked, how did this get built? And the answer was, it's slave labor. Right. That's how they built it. That's right. And, you know, what was amazing was, in the ancient world, you know, they have these monuments to slaves. They had so many slaves in the, in the Roman Empire. And yet, the, Paul is telling them, submit to masters even when they treat you poorly. Right, right. Where are you going to hear that taught around today? Mm. We went to uh, Dubai before that on the way over, had a layover. We went to this place called the Burj Khalif, the, large, the tallest building in the world. And they don't have the statistics on hand about how many people were killed building it. But when you don't have OSHA involved, people do die when it's getting built. And and so it's like, you know, different forms of slave labor that take place in the world today. I've been to those places. I've seen the help that's there. There's not safety rules like they have, but it really came highlighted when I was in Rome because he's telling the servants here, be submissive even when you're treated poorly. The thing about adversity is that it develops your character. I, I remember what Paul wrote I think Paul wrote Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And he said, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as a son. And he said, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Because he said, if God loves you, he corrects you and he works in you and his discipline is effective. He said, he reb- And that means that God works to correct things in your heart. Now, I'm a dad, I have a son on the front row this morning. And you know what I have to do is I have to provide him with guidance I have to provide him with correction. Because you know, eight-year-old boys do not have hygiene habits. I mean, it's one thing to brush your teeth, but then they got to clean the sink up after they brush their teeth. Yeah, I mean, and and then the little man that I have, he talks too much. You wonder where he got that from. Th- those are corrective, teachable moments in life. Th- those are things we have to work on. You know? And I have the distinct privilege then of telling him uh, no. And that's what fathers do. That, that's a rebuke. That's sometimes what God does in situations because he's trying to develop character in a person. Mm-hmm. See, he, he calls it commendable here. God honors your character. You know, there, there's moments in life when you do the right thing and still get the wrong result. Man, I think about Joseph. Running from Potiphar's wife, got him locked up, but it was on his, des- it was on his way to his destiny. Daniel praying three times a day, and they put him in a lion's den. Yeah. You could think about, you know, uh, King, King David. I mean, he, he killed Goliath. And where'd that get him? Chased around by the maniacal King Saul. Yeah. He did the right thing, he got the wrong result. So it's an honorable thing when you have character because God is working. And, and the thing about character is it's always going to be tested. Let me talk to you about how your character is going to be tested. It will be tested by inconvenient situations, things that inconvenience you. That, that's when you're uncomfortable, like when your wife leaves you for two weeks on an overseas trip with the three children. Yeah. Or if you've ever been on an international flight and you've got to fly across the world and you're on a plane ride for 14 or 15 hours, that is uncomfortable. How are you going to respond to the stewardesses? I mean, you know, when, when, when I know when people get sick. And then they kind of get angry or upset. You can see when people are in difficult moments what's in their heart. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. Or you end up in a new environment and you're insecure. And impa- how are you going to respond to that? That's where character gets tested. Man, that is the hardest thing for me. I mean, situations. Your character is tested a lot through patience. And that is the hardest thing for me. I find I am an impatient person, and I don't like waiting on things. And it never ceases to amaze me that when I really want to do something, I end up at Walmart returning something that my wife bought, and I end up in the longest line waiting for that exchange. When we were in Dubai, my friend Joel and I, we were trying to you know get to the airport, and we saw about 600 Japanese tourists trying to get on the plane. And man, we booked it to try to make it down to beat that. I don't want to be behind 600 Japanese stewards. I mean, I'm going to do everything I can not to have to wait too long for something. And yet, that's how God tests character. Inconvenience, with patience. Sometimes he you tests your character by your conscience. That's what the verse said. If because of conscience towards uh, toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. God says that's a commendable thing. You know, your conscience is the thing that will convict you of right and wrong you got to listen to that conscience. Because your conscience is the thing that will keep you out of sin. Your conscience is the thing that will help you make good decisions. It'll say, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't spend your money there. It'll help you make good decisions. And that's where character gets tested. It's through a conscience. Even when the situation doesn't work out, how did you follow it? Did you listen to your conscience? That's how character is shaped. Character is shaped often by your resilience. Like how quickly... Will you get up? It's 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 how fast you respond in a situation. How, how do you respond to difficulties? How do you respond when people say no? H- how quickly do you forgive someone when you're offended? What are you gonna do when you fail at something? H- how, how does that shape your character? Are you gonna get back up or you stay down? And and this is this is the way these things get worked out in our lives. But the thing about God is that He doesn't bring discipline to your life. Because he's angry at you. That's right. He brings discipline into your life because he loves you. And maybe he is at work in your life uh, preparing you. Yeah. That's what God loves. He loves to prepare you for things. He is at work in your life. And he's got something for you, something he wants you to accomplish. But it, it, that discipline might just be the thing that is preparing you. It's, it's like kids playing sports, man. You, you discipline them. You work with them. You help them get better because you know there's a day coming when they get to play in a game. Sometimes the reason the discipline comes is because what God is doing is he's protecting you. Man, I, you, you're only get, you get to heaven one day and you'll find out all the things he might have protected you from. Yeah. Bad decisions, things you didn't see. He, he saw what was around the corner that you didn't, and you might get upset and complain about it, think you're going through a hard thing. And all the while, what God is doing is protecting you from something that could take place in your life. Man, I've seen that happen, man, in my own life. I, I remember one time, you know, I, I had like a, a, a tire that got flat a, and I had to work on something. And I found out later the place that I was going, they, like they had a, a shooting. It was, it was over at, uh, at uh, uh, a place here, where was it? Big Bear, remember that? I headed over there and, and I was going through a trial. I couldn't make it through. I'm grateful for God's hand of protection. Yeah. Um, maybe the reason why he's disciplining you is because what he's really doing is perfecting you, maturing you. That's why it says, let patience have its perfect work. Because what God is doing, he who's begun a good work in you will complete it. He is actively at work growing you, maturing you, helping you make good decisions. He is working in those ways. And sometimes we go through things we don't understand or they're difficult. Really what it is, is God's ability to grow you and mature you. That's where you find him. His discipline in your life. I know so many people today who lack discipline in life. Can I get a witness? He, it's like, man, it, the, and we have a, a terrible time right now in culture because we have an absence of father figures correcting children. Well, I'm grateful that God, yeah, that's right, you say yes. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I want to remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, and it's amazing. He begun a good work, he'll complete it. Whether you're 19 or 99. You know, it's crazy. My grandma's 99 and she still tells me how God works in her life. How, how he's correcting her and helping her walk in love. Man, he don't stop. He loves you too much. Yeah, yeah. Woo! I like that because you're going to have eternity to look back on and see that perfected work in your life. So it could be that he's demonstrating his love and his discipline in your life. Now, I'm, I'm going to get to number four here. And, and, and this is such a mind-blowing thought. And I'm in chapter 3, 1 Peter 3. Flip over that chapter. I'm in Verse 13. It said, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And I'm reminded of Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is nobody, right? He said, even if we should suffer for righteousness' sake, he said, suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And he quotes Isaiah, do not be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Now, here's a fourth truth about suffering that God used. Suffering can be a device that's used for evangelism. A device. That's like a tool. You understand that God might deploy certain things in your life for His benefit. A, A tool it means that God knows how to get it to work in your life. I was thinking about the word deployment. It's a military term. Uh, anyone here been in the military? And the military, thank you for your service, I see. The military is not easy. It, it has a lot to do with suffering. That's why in 2 Timothy, Paul said that you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I was thinking about my friends in the military. They, I remember one guy, he told me he was at Fort Lewis, Washington, And he ended up having to spend the night up in the mountains, the Cascade Mountains. He said it rained all night. It was about 30 degrees. Was in Vietnam, coldest night of his life. He still shivers when he thinks about it. I remember my father was in Vietnam and he would get flashbacks from being rocketed in Saigon in 1968. There was pain associated with that. My grandpa came home from World War II and in those days they didn't diagnose it as post-traumatic stress disorder. But that's what he had, and my grandma ridiculed him for not riding the motorcycle with her. He just couldn't do it. I mean, he'd been through some difficult things. I was reading Richard Womberin in his book Tortured for Christ, a Lutheran pastor who was put in jail in Romania, and the reason they put him in jail was because he kept preaching the gospel to Russian soldiers who were very hungry for the Lord. He'd have underground meetings with them, and when they caught him, that's what they put him in jail for because they said, you can't be winning our soldiers to Christ. Think about Paul and Silas, put in prison. You remember Acts chapter 16, they came across a slave girl and Paul was greatly annoyed. He got annoyed by this you know, spirit that was operating. He cast the devil out of her and it caused an uproar in the town. They went down, locked him up, threw him in prison. And at midnight, you know the story. He and Silas were just worshiping and praising the Lord, and an earthquake happened. The jail cells got open, and the Philippian jailer went to kill himself. But Paul said, Don't do it. I'm not going anywhere. And the whole household got saved. He was suffering wrongfully, and yet God used it as a method for evangelism, because that's the God we serve. He's able to take those difficult situations you don't understand and use it for his glory. That's what makes him God. Now, I'm, I'm walking through these verses. And they contain devices for evangelism and, and the, the, the details of our deployment. Look at verse 15 again here. He said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify. Uh, that means you ought to live for him. That he's holy, that your life belongs to him. And, and the longer I've walked with him, I'm just telling you, man, the more I love him. And it's like the only thing that matters in this life is him. And I want that in my life. I want to totally belong to him. He is mine. I'm his. his, And give myself over to him completely. I want to sanctify him in my heart. Nothing else matters but the the kingdom of God and his will being done. I'm set apart. He said, sanctify the Lord in your heart. And he said, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that's in you. Always be ready. Now, you got to be ready. you got to be Johnny Unch on the spot because people might question you about your faith. Like the guy at Walmart who was delivering my groceries. I don't know how the topic got brought up, but he told me that uh, you know, the Bible was a book written by man. And so I listened to him a little bit and I just said, Hey, I, I, I don't want to be rude, but I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate with you. Can you explain to me how 40 different authors over a period of 2,500 years wrote the Bible with one congruent central figure, a central theme, mm-hmm. to which he couldn't? I was ready with an answer. Or I remember one time when I was in India, and by you know, day 10 of being in India with an Indian accent in your head, it's very frustrating. So I finally heard an American accent. And he heard mine, and we looked at each other. <laughs> Americans! He was an Indian kid. We got talking about what he was doing. He was from Los Angeles. And, and so as we were, you know parting ways there, he said, well, one thing about India, they got their religion right. I looked at him, and I said, can you explain to me how 300 million gods can, can be known? How do you know any of them? I said, you got so many gods. How do you have a relationship with them? I said, I prefer to know a god who's intimate, that I can walk with, that I can trust? He had no answer for that. I was thinking about recently, I was moving a friend of mine. And so he had his coworkers over. You know, when you're talking to people, moving, you get to talk about whatever topics you want. And you know, the topic of digital currencies and conspiracy theories came up, which is always a fun rabbit trail to walk down. So I remember I was trying to think about how do I use this as a moment to, to witness to somebody. And it dawned on me that in the book of Revelation, it talks about a mark of the beast coming, which no man can buy or sell. So I just wove that into the conversation. You know, the Bible says that one day, you know, you won't be able to uh, buy or sell things unless you have this mark of the beast, which I think could be maybe something like a, a chip implanted in somebody. And, and the guy was like, really? I have never heard that. But the buddy, who I don't know is a believer, was like, yeah, that, that is in the Bible. And so we got to talk about it. I was ready with an answer right there. That you always should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Because my hope is not in the U.S. dollar. My hope is not in the, uh, you know, the, the governments of the world. My hope is not in the U.S. economy. My hope is in Jesus. And my citizenship is a different kingdom. And that is the hope that I have. And I'm ready to give it a defense for that. Amen. That's where my hope's at. Think about the verse here. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you. And then he said... Do it with meekness and fear. Meekness. You know what that means? Strength under control. It means that you don't have to lose your sanctification when you get angry at heathens. It means you can kind of stay calm, cool, and collected. Because this just happened to me as well. We we had a woman canvassing the neighborhood recently. And she came to the door and knocked on the door and she was, you know, talking about some things that they wanted to get through the school system. And she gave herself away because she had a big lanyard on that said, love is love with rainbows everywhere. And, you know, she asked me a couple questions and I said, I want to be respectful, but I totally disagree with you. And I would vote just the opposite of what you're asking. And, you know, to her credit, she stayed calm. I stayed calm. I was respectful because I know some people who can't handle those moments and I'm just telling you, when you have a chance to be respectful, courteous, and meekness, it's a witness to people. This would be a good time. Because you know, the, the thing about um, uh, that situation, my children, do not ha- I don't have to subject them to indoctrination. They're my children, and I want them to be raised in truth and righteousness and godliness. And, and so I'm the one that gets to make decisions on that. I don't need to go off-source them to someone else to make decisions. This would be a good place to have the National Day of Prayer light up. Because if there ever was a time to pray for America, it would be like right now. So uh, you know that's the day we pray on May the 4th. And I, I was asked to be at the meeting. I can't make it because my wife's just getting back from Israel that day, but I will be there next year to meet in the courthouse lawn. And if you think about it, pray for our nation. It needs your prayers. And I'm telling you, meekness means that we just trust the Lord. We, we, we're vocal. We say the right things. We vote, but we pray. And we believe that God is in control of the destiny of nations. Prayer is a powerful force. Now look at verse number 16. It tells us that we, uh, we should have a good conscience. That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. What a verse. You know, the power of a clean conscience is real. I was reading this book, Richard Rundgren, Tortured for Christ. And in communist Russia, they were killing Christians, man. And what they, they had all kinds of methods. They took a whole group of them out of a village. A village that was on fire for God. They didn't like it. They put them on a frozen river. They made them strip naked with soldiers watching them. And they said we'll shoot anyone who leaves. You're going to just freeze to death out here and when the river thaws your bodies will be floated on down the stream." But they sat there and sang and had a clean conscience. And one soldier who could no longer take it. Just as some of the guys were about to crack he stripped out naked, and ran out there with him, started singing with him, because oh, wow. he saw the power of a conscience, a clean conscience, and there's something about that before God that is incredible in your witness, and that clean conscience, man, oh man, I, that's a powerful thing to have. I have a good conscience, I have a clean conscience, because when Christians United for Israel called me, and they asked if my wife could leave for like 10 days, I thought about saying no, but I said yes. I was like, well, she she did it for me. I'll do it for her. <laughs> I want to ask you this morning if you're struggling with wondering, like making sense of some of the difficult things you're going through. What are some difficult moments you're going through? It could be that the difficulty that you're in has to do with the fact that uh, your faith needs to be deepened. Well, you're, you, you know, that's where a lot of Americans find themselves at these days. You, you, you can't teach truth in certain circles anymore because they might get offended. I, I had one of my favorite preacher prophet friends. He was invited to a very large church, and they said, you can prophesy, do your thing, do whatever, preach whatever you want, but they said, uh, don't say the word sin. And so you can say issues, you can say people have problems, just don't bring up the word sin. And so what we have is is like itching ears in churches. And as a result, people don't want to hear truth. There's no depth. And when difficult times come, if you're just rooted in stories rather than scripture, man, you might wash away. You need to have depth. And it's developed sometimes through some of the difficult things you face and endure. That's where your faith grows. and takes root as you walk with God. Maybe the reason why you're in a difficult moment is because your love needs to grow. Maybe you're unloving. I think about, my my grandma was just telling me recently how God has been working in her heart. And it it just, man, it it blessed me. You know what's amazing? It is, there's always gonna be a chance in life when someone who's difficult shows up and you learn how to love them. And if you run from that and hide from that, I've got bad news for you. Someone else shows up for you to work on. You can't get away from them. I know people who go from job to job to job because they don't like where they're at, only to find the same problems that exist at the next place. Because maybe God's working on you loving. Or maybe it has to do with your immaturity. Maybe there's some discipline issues that got to take place in your life. I watch this all the time, man, where people just lose their sense of self-control and they struggle, to blame anything for it. You're like, you know, I need deliverance. Or, you know, they blame, you know, the people that they're with and never just accept responsibility we're having a lack of discipline. And that could be the reason you're going through something to discipline you, to steal you, to grow you up. Resistance is the thing that strengthens muscles. Now, maybe it's because you're you're God is preparing you to use you in a greater way. That could be what's behind some of the difficult moments. He, he's gonna use it for his glory. And you may not understand it in the moment, but God's got greater things for you. How many of you would like to be used by God in a greater way? Man, I, whew, I, I tell you, when I say that, I feel in the room the hunger that people have for that. I, the, the realness of God, I want to be used in a greater way, in a greater capacity. And I, I don't. if that's you this morning, I want to do what I did last week. I'd like you to just stand up. If, if you feel like the Lord, if you want to be used by God in a greater way, I'd like you to stand up. I want to pray with you. I, I was in Canada a few weeks ago. I was approached by a woman, and she said, I'm 74, and I want my life to count. I want my life to matter for something. It struck That's a need that people have. There's a deep longing inside the soul of a person for God to use them in greater ways. Mm. I thank you. It takes honesty to stand up. Maybe you didn't want to stand up. Maybe you just stand up because everyone else stood up. You, there's something about being sincere in the eyes of God. Say, God, use me. Here's my life. Take it and let it be consecrated and holy. to Yeah, I want to pray that for people who are sincere. So, Lord, I, I just lift up these people. I, I thank you, Father, that you who've begun a good work are completing it in the day of Christ Jesus. You're at work. And I thank you for people who say are growing, open, not resentment, not filled with bitter. But, God, we say use us. Use us for your glory. Use us. Use us for the things of God. You know what's funny? Sometimes when you minister, you just get an inspiration or a moment where the Lord highlights someone. And I I got my friend in the back row with that ginormous beard, Brother Hezekiah. His real name's John Johnson, but I I like to call him Hezekiah. I, I was sitting here, and I saw that white flowing mane of yours, and you're tempted to think sometimes that your best days are behind you, but I felt like the Lord is gonna use you in a greater way in the days ahead. You know why? Because you got grandchildren and children and there's something effective and powerful about a praying man in their lives. And I just want to encourage you with that. Man, don't look back. Look forward and ahead because God's got even greater things for you. He's going to use you in greater ways. That's for everybody here. Father, I just thank you. Greater, greater, greater purposes. I thank you for greater things in people's lives. I thank you. They don't have to be unsatisfied or unsure, but they can be filled with the Holy Spirit and know what to do. Lord, I pray. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Hmm. Amen, you can be just seated here for a moment. You know, I'm doing that, and I just feel hunger in there. I feel like there's people who really mean that. You really want to be used by God. I, I was thinking about, you know, some of the most difficult things I've been through in terms of suffering. And I would say that, The greatest suffering I personally had ever been through was the years when I was in rebellion. Because there was an internal dissatisfaction in my heart. I mean, it, it ate me up. And the thing about sin that's so sneaky is there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the season always comes to an end, did you know that? So you get through that season and you have a longing for righteousness. There's something about it that's alluring and appealing. And and you'd never know that had it not been for some of the pain and the suffering of sin that you go through. And what that suffering did in me, that that internal insecurity, that internal wound, that desire for something, it it, it produced in me the fruits of repentance. I've seen this. It's an amazing thing. Difficult things in your life can bring about repentance. That's what it takes to get saved that you're going in one direction with your life, but you turn and go a different direction. And a lot of times, it's like the prodigal son when you come to the end of yourself at a difficult moment. So I just want to give you a chance. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you are not right with the Lord, maybe there's a sin issue festering in you, you're uncomfortable, you can sense that you're not right with God and and, and not satisfied with where you are. And If that's you in the moment, I'd like you to put a hand up and I want to pray. You can have it now in this moment, just like I got it when I was a kid. God turned me in an instant. Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty. For you. I see that. Let's let's pray that together. Say, Father, I come before you, naked and bare. You see my heart. And I ask you to forgive me and fill me with love and joy. And I pray that you reveal your purpose for me. Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, man, there's something about walking with God that is so wonderful, so sacred, so pure. It's worth everything. And I love the Lord more today than I ever have. And it hadn't come easy. It has come through difficulty and trial, but I'm grateful that the greater one lives in me, amen. That he who lives in me is greater than he who's in the world. And through all these things, we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. He will always see you through. I love that. All right, man, let's stand up. Great to have you out this morning. If you want prayer, if you're in the middle of a trial, or if you feel like you want to know maybe more like what your purpose is and you want God to show it to you, I would love to pray with you. I, I, would, I had the anointing oil out last week. I prayed for sick people, and it was incredible to just have that spirit of the Lord come on without oil. And I, I kind of sense a similar thing this morning. I sense that maybe there's people longing for direction, destiny, and purpose. I would love to pray with you. I would love to just spend some time and pray that God could communicate to you, because sometimes that's a real thing in people's hearts. So, we're here to pray for you. I love you very much. Don't forget, we'll have you know service here again on on Wednesday. Now, Daniel has been teach. Pastor Daniel has been teaching a great class on finances, having a great time, and I'm proud of him for doing that. So, if you need financial help, you- it's not too late to sign up. Anyway, we love you all. We'll catch y'all next week. Give someone a hug on the way out. If you want prayer, we're here. God bless you.